0: listening to the running public from marathoners to mud runners we all have the same goal get to the finish line faster that's right this podcast is for you guys the running public
1: all right it's time we hit record we've been we've been bs'ing for the last five minutes and we just need to hit the button and get this thing started Two Chatty Cathys over here. We just can't stop ourselves. So,
0: but we just don't see enough of each other. That's what it comes that down to.
1: Must be what it is.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I want to get
1: a hot take from you, and I want you <sighs> to, and I want you to uh, give me your take unfiltered. We'll and that. maybe you'll be coming from a place of ignorance. I don't know. Uh, what? So this last Sunday, the Twin Cities Marathon got yeah. black flagged and canceled. Uh, big Marathon this is a one of the larger marathons in the country, and two hours before start time on Sunday morning at five a m they sent out a text blast saying we 're canceling the marathon and the ten mile. Mm-hmm. We knew the heat was coming, the weather had been predicted well ahead of time, but they chose to cancel the Twin Cities Marathon two hours before the gun time on Sunday. Due to heat, which is a black flag warning. I have strong opinions on this okay. because it personally affected a number of my athletes. But I want to get yours. Well, What do you think guess, about that? I
0: guess taking it back two days earlier, they sent out an email warning people that it could happen, but it's looking highly unlikely that it'll happen. Which, if you ever receive communication like that, the decision's almost always been made already. They're just softening. They're just feeling out how bad the, the blowback's going to be. Oh, hey, the race might get canceled. because It, it might was get bad. Out, but it looks like it's going to be fine. So most likely nothing's going to happen. We're just letting you know it could. And then they canceled it. There has to be something that I'm not aware of information-wise with this because the entire lower half of our country is laughing. What did it get up to? Do you want to know what it was 74? on my phone
1: at gun time? At gun time, you want to know what probably the, like sixty six, sixty seven degrees at gun yeah. time when I was up that morning. So mm.
0: that's that's the thing I'm missing is is what had they signed to, either with their medical group that they contracted that they contracted with or with their insurance companies that it was an absolute no fly if like the dew point or whatever got over whatever number. Because if that – it had to have been event That was part of it. Because otherwise, how would any Southern Marathon ever be run? I don't, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's, it's mind-boggling, and I feel horrendous for all the people that trained and trained and prepared and traveled. Oh, it's just – it's a nightmare scenario. Absolutely nightmare. They didn't even have the option to just continue on. And they canceled the 10 mile. I don't don't know. I don't get, I don't get it one bit. There has to be something I'm missing. How do you feel about it? I feel like if there's Do you feel like
1: it was the right or the wrong decision?
0: There has to be something I'm missing because if there's not, it was the wrong decision. Every single person who signed up for this trained in temperatures that were up to 30 degrees higher throughout their entire training block. They finally get good, cool fall weather and they're Marathon was canceled for being too hot. I I don't know what they expect out of people. I don't know what they're going to do to make it right. Again, I hope there's something big I'm missing, but it feels like the absolute wrong call on every single human level. Mm. All right. Well, to
1: their defense, before I shit on them, (laughs) they they didn't want to cancel the marathon either. This is a nightmare scenario for them as well. Mm -hmm. So they were shoved into a corner by who knows what logic or decision-making process. And this was what they were forced to do, not chose to do. I firmly believe decision-makers were forced. So like, this isn't good for anybody. So I want to like cut them some slack there at the same time. If this race was in June, July, August, even September But it had an October start date. It was October 1st. If it was any of those preceding months with the exact same weather, it would have went off. But because it's in the back half of the year and it's unexpected conditions, and it was close to record highs for that day, they let the season influence their decision. Right. Which is where I don't believe it was the right call on that alone.
0: The Milwaukee Marathon happened one week prior
1: yeah I don't know well, now i I'm here in the city it the got same day. it was muggy. it got up to it got up to 90 some degrees here on Marathon day. it did and when 11 o'clock came and it switched, it went to like miserable like mm-hmm. sticky hot 90s. but even then in June or July or August it wouldn't have been a question of whether or not they should run it. I just think with the forecast being laid out as far as it was, there are so many contingent plans that would have been available, very simply put, mostly to cater to the back 10% of marathoners who were going to be finishing as the temperatures did get hot, not concerningly hot by <laughs> summer standards but by fall standards, where they could have had a bus sweep of the course. You know, They uh-huh. give them four hours and the bus drivers start dry and you scoop up everybody who hasn't finished. You could urgently ask anybody who – doesn't think they're going to finish in X amount of time like we are asking or telling you not to. I understand the liability still falls on the organization if people are harmed. But it was a decision that catered, and we cater to all levels of runners on this podcast. But that decision was made for generally those who are showing up unprepared, not for those who are showing up prepared. And I'm saying that as a general sentiment. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's okay. Yeah, like you need to, you need to worry about the two hours too long
0: and it punished Correct. everyone equal. And
1: there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. And somebody could have trained their ass off and still been, you know, maybe running a six or seven hour marathon. I respect that. It's just like, ugh, there were just other ways around it. And I had a, a bunch of athletes personally affected by it. And it just, I had to fly in for it that I encouraged mm. to come up, you know, and do it that are from the South that yeah. trained in hotter weather every day. And then came up here. And got the rug pulled out. So I I have feelings, but I just don't think, I just don't see how it was like the only option. And I just don't think it was a good decision. I just don't. I don't think it was a good decision. It's It's only running, I know.
0: but It's tough when people take the option away from you. When people would have signed a death waiver to go run that. Yeah. And others would have chosen not to. But the people that prepared and 90% of their training block for the last 12 weeks was hotter than that. And they didn't get to run it. It's just demoralizing. Milwaukee Marathon, not Milwaukee, was it the Bruce City? We, we had a marathon down here uh, earlier this year get canceled because the organizers continued their string of shoddy organizing and didn't pull the correct permits. Wanted to make an oh adjustment to the course due to construction and hadn't pulled the right thing and they didn't get to put it on and there was uproar. So it's just like this Midwest is kind of people have lost out on two opportunities in the same year now it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's getting frustrating. Twin Cities isn't well, the much anybody- marathon though. Like so I give them right. the benefit of the doubt. It just seems like whoever made the call to put in the protocol in place like you said based it off of the wrong information. Well without without using 2020 vision. They just use tunnel vision. I don't think that's the comparison that's accurate but they had tunnel vision yeah
1: i mean of course they made the decision they had to make i acknowledge again they did not want to make that decision either so i feel for them too I, if anybody listening has any ties to that decision making process you should reach mm-hmm. out i'd be very curious to hear what it boiled down to but i just want to get your take because i had athletes at the start line they'd already parked their car they were literally at the place uh. taking shuttles or whatever i mean a lot of them that this happened to and so there was like a mini riot some like people, people were down there and yeah, downtown Minneapolis or St. Paul, like literally there already got a cancellation email or text like, why is nobody here? And people were like, it was, there were some angry folks out there in split shorts and that's a bad combo. Bracken <laughs> That's a bad combo.
0: They had every right to be angry and to be in split shorts. Yeah.
1: All right. We can move on. If you have no other thoughts, I just felt like we should chat that out quick. I just feel horrible I haven't talked for the
0: athletes and it's like, what do you do now? For a lot of people, this was the end of their running season. You have all this fitness. You want to go use it. Most marathons are sold out. Travel is already booked and paid for. The race is going to have a nightmare with all the individual cases they're going to have to deal with because of this. It's it's going to be the biggest. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. That That's the kind of situation it was. But I feel terrible yeah. for all the runners who are just sit there twiddling their thumbs without a race to run. All their work put in.
1: Yeah, me too. And then I had a few clients of mine who aren't, in quotes, runners, but I tricked them into signing up for the 10-mile. Like, let's just put something on the calendar, and let's have – you'll be glad you did it. And I have half a dozen of those. And then they show up. They're all there already like because the 10-mile, I think, starts first and canceled. And every single one of them, what they do instead, went to brunch. (laughs) <laughs> w- went for a mile walk. None of them ran that morning. I was like, even if it's just to get this dang woman to do something good for herself, and she went to brunch and had a Bloody Mary instead. Like, gah! I get Anyways, it. Anyways, hurts me.
0: Yeah. But you already me. got your caffeine in your system, and the pre-race poops out. You might as well go get a workout in. Boom. Um, okay, do you have anything else you want to chat out today before we dive into the episode? I avoided a bad decision today without... Without making any decision, I was uh, – I've talked to you about that porcupine That's mountain. not – that doesn't make sense
1: actually. I'm going it. will <laughs> make okay. sense in a second.
0: I talked to you about that porcupine no, You can't make – you can't not make a – okay, go ahead. I avoided a bad decision through no fault or benefit to my, I mean, through no action of myself. How about that? I was all set to not learn from my mistakes and I was going to make a bad decision. So I've talked about this Porcupine Mountain FKT before. It's 26 miles, 4,000 feet of vert, really technical rocky trail. I've been wanting to go do it. So I decided, the kids don't have school tomorrow. I decided, Lisa, let's drive up there. It's a five hour drive, five and a half hour. Let's go camp the night. I'm going to run it do a little recce in the morning, see the whole thing, and then plan out an an attack on it later. Um, But I don't have any... I I don't belong running four and a half hours on technical terrain right now. That's a bad decision for me. I don't need to go run a marathon on the trails when we all know what's going to happen. The first hour of any long FKT, you look down and you're like, hey, I'm on pace to set it. And then you get excited and you go after it and you realize the FKT FKT is made on the back half. And then I end up something. It's just a a bad setup for where I am in my progression of feeling good and trying to stay healthy. And uh, we ended up not being able to swing it. But I was fully prepared to pull the trigger on a bad decision and I wasn't able to do it. Why are you the way that you are? It's the way I was born. I was born this way, Kirk.
1: No. We are what we create. Why are you the way that I you are? I don't believe well, that. Well, I'm very glad. You know, the the nature mm, versus nurture. We, let's meet in the middle. I after having, I know. You've used
0: this reference with your kids. You yeah, go after ahead, watching kids. Tell, tell the people. I think that we can craft our nature to some extent through nurture, but we can't change who we are at our core. I just don't believe well, it. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. What What are you saying <laughs> I'm not
1: saying anything. I just asked the question. Why are you the way way that you are? (laughs) And I said, I was
0: born this way. And you said, we can change that.
1: Yeah. Hasn't Lisa been working on that with you since day one? Isn't
0: that how it is? (laughs) Just changing me, crafting me into a full person. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Just kidding. So had Um, I, my plan was not to tell you, you were just going to see it on mm -hmm. my Strava that I ran a trail marathon. And then what would your reaction have been? Well, I would have been surprised to see anything on your Strava. At all, ever.
1: So I would have seen it. I would have not liked it because I wouldn't want to give you that satisfaction. I just would have sat around waiting for you. I'm kidding. (laughs) I would have probably texted. I would have. (laughs) I would have probably texted you right away and been like, "Dude, what the heck is this? You idiot!" That's what I would have said. I'm looking at my Strava here, training log. You typically keep me in the loop. So that, it would catch me off guard. My but I would be very happy played. to see it, to be honest.
0: It shows right. well, the last must, like, five cl- weeks. You must cluster upload. Oh, for sure. And I don't right. have everything. But four and a half, five hours, three hours, four hours. There's stuff in there. It's just not. good. Okay. It's not the way it should be used. All right, should we dive in? Yeah, let's, let's stop this nonsense. Let's
1: dive right. in today.
0: A month ago, we did a new style of episode, which was four important questions where we took a normal Q&A question except something that's come up very often in the Q&As or in the questions sent to us or conversations with, with our athletes, things that we've maybe touched upon with our short two- to five-minute answers in Q&As, but then we went and spent 20 to 30 minutes per mini-topic on four things that are important for a runner, and we made it an entire episode. And this is this is round two of that. So we have four more good Important questions for runners sitting here that we're gonna take time to give a full explanation for. It's right in the sweet spot, folks. That's all you mm-hmm. need to know.
1: Too sh- it's it deserves too thorough of an answer to be really tossed into a Q and A and then given the service it's deserved. But it's just too short to make a full training Tuesday out of. So we gotta meet in the middle here. Yes. And just let us flow as long as we would like on a given question or topic and then move on when it feels right in our heart. Instead of being drawn out to an hour long episode or confined to a five minute answer, we just get to riff. That's what I like about this style.
0: I truly enjoyed it and I'm excited to do this. Kirk has not seen the questions. I've not prepared answers. Just chose them off the list.
1: You did this to me last time. You didn't tell me the questions beforehand. Yeah, it's really fun.
0: You like to, button, But they were directed me at me. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that again. So, Kirk, when 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 did I when do I button hook you? I think once per episode you say, all right, I'm going to button hook you here because I like doing this. <laughs>
1: ah, you button hooked me. I, I didn't know you were going to button hook me. Do you remember what that's from?
0: I don't, but I liked your accent. Oh,
1: all right. It's from Adam Sandler, the goat. The, never mind. There will be like one person who knows what I'm talking about. Go all right.
0: ahead. All right. Hot take, unpopular opinion, not a huge Sandler fan.
1: His early stuff was
0: all right. Simple. I like some of his stuff, but I don't like him like any more than I like any person who makes like <clears throat> schlocky comedy movies. He's not clever, he's dumb, funny. there's a difference. Yeah, and he's good at
1: it, correct, but he's not clever, and i I value I, I seem to be drawn
0: towards clever, like probably most people mm-hmm. as I became an adult. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. This is a loaded question, Kirk. How do I know if and when I'm doing enough volume, enough mileage in my training? Some version of this question comes up all the time. Do I need to run more? How do I know when I've reached the proper amount of volume. This is going to go, I I picture this like a network of tunnels This is going to go several different directions and I'm very much here for that. So start digging.
1: I really could answer this in six different ways from the gun.
0: Yeah. Start one. I could
1: say you're, I could say you're never going to (laughs) know you'll never know. Or I could give you tangibles, which we should probably do, but I, I will tell you it's not a defined line in the sand. It never will be. It's going to be a moving target based on your tenureship, based on what you're training for, based on your health, uh, based on a number of other factors, including life circumstance. So it will be a moving target, but I think we can help you dissect how you know still. And for me, it comes down to two things. It comes down to health, and it comes down to, in quotes, how I feel. So you have... Am I healthy or am I always babysitting something or am I not? And do I generally have good energy for sessions or is, am I dragging and in the dirt more often than not? So you have two things I look at it from health and then let's call it systemic and emotional energy towards your training. I think those two things are going to be your, your guiding stars, which we can talk about deta- in detail, but that's what I'd start with. What would you start with?
0: Generally, if I want to give a – a 20,000 foot view of this answer to an athlete, I say, I just go with an analogy, which shocking, right? And that mm. is mileage is money. That's the simplest way I can explain it to anyone is that mileage is just like having money. The more money you have, generally the better your life is going to be until it's not. People want to be rich. People want more money, but there is such a thing as too much money. Your life stops getting better and starts getting worse. Like if you if you just go to the far end of the spectrum if you're a trillionaire or a billionaire. You have to pay for round the clock security. You have to send your kids to private schools. You have to live in a gated community. You're always at somewhat of a worry in the back of your mind about kidnapping or being taken advantage of in scams or being caught up in some sort of tax issue because the people looking after your money are doing it improperly. You have people constantly asking for your money. Family member interactions become weird. At some point, it's too much and it's bad. What you really want is enough money that it de-stresses your life without getting worse. So, like if you if you get out of bed each morning and you're like, oh, my house is a piece of crap. Everything's breaking. You want enough that you can have the house you want. You want enough that you don't have to worry about your car breaking down. You want enough that you don't have to stress over spending ever. But not so much that you never have to think about it. Because if you could buy whatever car you want, like there's a sliding scale here. Eventually you buy something so nice that it's now unreliable again. You want to stay in that middle section. You eventually buy a house that's so big you can't take care of it. And now you have to pay other people. A ton of money to take care of it. And you're always worried about, are they stealing from me? I haven't even seen this room in a month. So anyway, too much money is bad. We all know that the sweet spot is where you want to stay. And like you said about feel, you don't generally know when you've gone too far until you feel it. You know, when you don't have enough money, it's a little gray about when do I have too much, but we all know, like if you make, let's say $30,000 a year, with a 10-person a family, you're going to feel like there's not enough money. If you raise it to $35,000 a year, you're still going to be like, it helped, but like, not. I'm not night and day different. If you raise it to thirty-eight thousand dollars a year with ten kids, like it's, it's it every bit helps, but you're not feeling this big <clears throat> moment. But if you raised it to eighty thousand a year, your life would be dramatically better. And if you raised it to eight hundred thousand a year, your life would be dramatically better. And if you raised it to eight hundred million, your life would suck again. And that's how mileage is to me. If you're an eighteen mile a week runner, raising to twenty, you're not going to feel a whole lot better in terms of what you can do on race day. 25, maybe a little better. 50, you might be a night and day different runner. And by 150 miles a week, you can't run again anymore. You're trashed. Mm. So if you understand that general concept, then I like to narrow down from there. But that's my broad strokes view on mileage. It's a great analogy. Um, I think a lot of people can understand that. I think
1: the details are in the fabric, so to speak, obviously. Mm -hmm. But as as a general sentiment, right? the more you make, the more you're taxed and eventually you're taxed to death. And it's like, I remember when, right. It's the, it's the same sort of thing. So I think that's a perfect analogy. It's like, when you say it that way, it sounds so clear when you're living it, it's so much more blurry and muddy. Right. right? And that's sort of the tricky thing, but I couldn't agree more with you. And a lot of times, unfortunately, you don't know until you've become too rich Mm-hmm. let's just say, right. And then you at, but in this circumstance, you can go to be, being unrich and, and moderate, you know, back to the middle class where you, yeah. where you feel good and life is good and it's less complicated and, and all of that. So at least in this sense, you know, you may breach or you may be under and poor and broke and fail. And then you know, which direction you need to go as well. But yeah. Um, Spawning off of then your 20,000 foot view, what do you do with that?
0: Well, if you're following the analogy, we know what being poor feels like. We know what debt and stress feels like. And we know what it feels like from running as well. So if you approach every run, like, I don't have enough fitness to get through a 10 miler. Or I have a half marathon I want to sign up for, but I can't cover that cost with my fitness. I can't make it 13 miles. Like that's, that's the feeling of being poor from a volume standpoint. When your volume doesn't give you the fitness to be able to cover your wants and needs as a runner, you know you have to go higher with it. What you really want to do is be able to spend without stressing over it, but still having to think about it. And that means as a runner, the way you want to spend is to be able to compete the entire distance of whatever you're trying to do. If I'm going to do a 15 mile long run on the weekend, I want to be able to run With confidence, enjoy the entire time. If I'm doing a marathon, I want to be able to race the whole way through. I don't want to come up 10 miles short. And so you just adjust your volume until you can spend the way you want to be able to spend. And so if no matter what distance you're choosing that I want to do this race, you know you can't race the entire time. You are volume poor and you need more of it. In order to be able to spend the way you want. So I think that's where we start is how much am I able to even race right now? If I did a 10K, could I race the whole 10K or would I have to casually run for 40 minutes and then race, the last 20, that's where you start. Let's raise my volume up until I'm to the point where I know I can race 10K. And then you look at what the rest of your race needs are. I think that's probably how I would start looking at it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, step one, uh, you're begging for change on the corner. Let's just go Mm -hmm. with your analogy. You're you're sitting there playing your instrument and begging for change on the corner. That is the version of not being able to, not even confident I can complete this without walking, let's just say. Like I Mm -hmm. don't think I can do my 10K. I'm, I'm broke. I'm in poverty, right? The next step, barely getting by, barely paying your bills, but you have no room to even go see a movie once a month. That is the, I think I can see the finish line. I'm not going to be able to access anything, but I think I can see the finish line of my chosen race. I can complete it. That is broke but surviving, Mm -hmm. but no fun. And then it goes from there, right? So I think step one, like if we're talking volume, and I agree with you, by the way, first thing, like we – Bracken didn't say anything about, well, what about, what are you doing for threshold runs? Or how many interval sessions are you doing a week? Or what does your strength training look like? Bracken's went right to volume. And I couldn't agree with you more. When you say how much, I still think it comes back to simply volume for starters. Yeah. So, so whatever your chosen race distance or goal is, it gets cloudy when we get past the marathon and we get to ultras. And I'm going to acknowledge that, but let's say marathon and below three hours or less. You need to be able to show up to the start line confident that you're able to push yourself with purpose through the finish. Mm-hmm. What does that take to get there? I don't know. But if you're sitting there scratching your head saying, like, I don't know if I'm going to survive this mountain half marathon on the trails. I don't, I don't know. The answer is you're probably not where you should be with your volume. If your question – if your answer is I don't know and it's less than an ultra distance, the answer is your house broke and you can't afford anything else. So So I think if there's any question, can I go race this distance, then you're probably not where you need to be on the volume front if we're going to give them a tangible, if that's even a tangible.
0: I think the first – you're right. And I think the first tangible I'll give is like you said with health and energy and feeling is – with whatever you're currently doing, do you have an overriding feeling of doom in terms of energy on a day to day basis or week to week? Are you always looking at your week thinking, I don't think I can f- I handle this. I don't think I can function. I'm so, I'm living month to month here with energy. I can barely make it work out to the next. You don't need more volume. You either need less volume or less intensity. But if you're sitting there feeling great, every single day, you might not be doing enough volume, but are you happy where you are? Same thing with money. I'm not stressed. I'm happy. I could probably have more, but happiness is the key there unless you have a big overriding goal. Like I want to move to a new city when the housing market's twice as big. Then you know, okay, I am happy, but I need more. So I'm going to build up a little. Same thing with running. If I'm happy and I feel good, you are at a good volume. But if your goals get bigger you know that you should be able to increase because you feel good every day. And the way that I think the volume you should be running should be is that you exist like 50 to 70% of the year at a volume where you feel like this is challenging, but very sustainable. And I still feel kind of good. I have days I'm tired, but I have more days that I feel good than feel bad. I have this nice ebb and flow where I'm tired after my big days and totally recovered and feeling good after my easy days. That's where you sit, and then when you see something you want to save up for and buy, you can move up volume and sit in an area of fatigue for a while, knowing this is temporary. Yes, I agree with that, and I think we should actually explore that further. okay.
1: Let's talk about how somebody should feel when they are doing enough. They don't have eight hundred million, they don't have eight thousand. they have a hundred grand in the bank and they're a single family household, and they're doing okay right mm-hmm. What 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 should you know, what should that feel like? How do I know what it feels like to be doing an appropriate number amount of volume? I'm not feeling great and too fresh every day. Um, I'm seeing maybe improvement. I'm yeah. not dragging all the time and trending the wrong direction with my performance metrics. Like, what does that look like for me? I break it down pretty simply. And if you can, in general, have mean for me anyways, and what I've noticed with athletes, Break it down simply. If I can have one or two days a week where I feel good, I'm popping, I feel like light on my feet, I'm mentally and physically ready for whatever it is. It could even be a recovery run. You're like, dang, I'm just like kind of floating today. I don't care. But one to two days a week where like your systems are working metabolically and nervous system isn't ruined and you like feel decently okay about yourself. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of the coin, you're going to have one or two days if you're training with purpose where it don't feel so good getting to your eight mile recovery run feels like a chore and you want to be doing nothing other than not what you're currently doing. It's Mm -hmm. just like, you're tired. It's no fun. That's normal too. And then the rest of your days, let's say you're a six day a week runner. Two of those other days are in the gray area. Don't feel great. Don't feel bad. Get it done. Check the box, move on with your life. I think as a general sentiment, you got two good ones, you got two bad ones, and you got two in the middle that are apathetic. And if you can, deviate from that a little bit on either side depending on where you're at you're probably and we're talking not injury aside we're just talking energy how you feel right now yeah that's my personal take on it and then when you start looking like ooh, am i spending more than i have you start that starts to shift like i haven't popped a good workout in two weeks Yeah, i've dreaded every run i've had to go on for the last week and a half which kind of the boat i'm in right now to be honest with you um it's like Okay, then you. but you're not going to know that in one week. But if the general sentiment is one good day, one bad day, one middle day, I'm thinking you're somewhere in the wheelhouse.
0: What do you think? I think that's exactly right. I think that if half of your week is average to above average, you're running a good amount of volume and or intensity. I think the other way to look at it is how many days would I need right now in order to jump into a race? Let's say someone calls you on Thursday. They said, "Hey, Saturday morning 5k road race, you're coming with me. Is that enough time for you? Could you say, "All right, should I'm just going to take it Thursday morning like I normally do because that should change things." <laughs> it might. That, that that could that could play into things. But if you said with just an easy day Friday, I could go out there and I know I'm going to race pretty well. Then you're probably running right at or under a good amount of volume mm-hmm. for you in terms of life health. If you need 2 days, yep. In order to really round into life energy and go race, you're probably starting to run what would be considered for you a bit more volume. You have more work you're doing. You need 48 hours in order to just catch up and be ready to feel good. And if you need more than that, you're probably running pretty high volume. Like in the middle of a peak week for a marathon you wouldn't consider jumping into a 5k on two days notice. Nope. I might need three or four days just to rest up because it wouldn't even be smart. But in the middle of your off season build, you might only need a day or two. So how much time do I need to feel good is another way of looking at it just from a a week to week life energy and body health standpoint. But I like what you're saying. Yeah, you're probably going to feel shoddy twice a week. Great twice a week middle ground twice per week. On the other end of the spectrum, anytime I've gone big volume, almost every run is a chore. Almost every single time I wake up and think, is today the day I can't get my work in? But then I warm up, Mm -hmm. I get moving, I make it through another run, and then I make it through another run. But I'm just always making it through. I'm checking the box. I'm making it through. I'm not missing, but I feel bad most of the day, more often than I don't. To me, that's what high volume training is like. I'm not going to feel good most of the time, but I can still check the box just fine. I might feel extra crappy on my recovery and easy days, but I'm still going to hit my quality and long run days, but I'm going to wake up thinking this might not go well today. Anything above that and you're overreaching. Anything below that, and you're probably not really, really pushing the envelope.
1: Well, and that's why it's blurry, right? Because yeah. sometimes sitting in a phase like that is necessary to move the long term needle right. after you recover from said work, so it gets muddy. I think a talking point that just keeps gnawing at me with listening to you speak is <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. This isn't a jab. It's why are you, you know, the way newer? You are? <laughs> It's um, – isn't that uh, – I think that's Michael the that Toby in the office or something. Yeah. Anyways. So what I actually – my con- not concern is – but something of note is with, let's say, newer runners in their first two years. I feel like mm-hmm. we attract a lot of those running podcasts, attract a lot of yeah. newer runners looking – Uh, information hungry. So I assume a lot of people listening and they watch a pro athlete run on TV or they watch somebody run down the street or they look at Bracken Strava and look at his mileage or how fast he is. And they think it's just so easy for them. They just float and they feel so good. And it's not like that for me. They think like, I'm tired every day and my bones hurt and I'm so slow. And every run is a struggle run and so i 'm clearly doing like if you go off of what we 're saying right now mm-hmm. it's like well then you 're obviously overdoing it, and you're, you're you got you 're rich already, you stop spending yeah. right you just need, but the waters get muddy because their intuition it looks so easy for Kirk or the pros. it looks so fluid, and they don 't seem to have the problems I have and the heavy legs and the shin splints and all this. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is, is there's this formula lies to them. It lies to them because what it lies to them in a sense, because of what the key to opening that door to having what you think these other people have, which we all feel tired. Maybe we look different while we feel tired than you think we should look, but we feel the same things you feel is that when you're ramping up it's going to feel like you're spending on the high side and there's going to be a lot of warnings to stop or to back off. And so it gets tricky with the new runner ramping up for the first time. And so that's where your spending has to increase incrementally, but it's not a red flag or a red light to stop trying to do more unless you're injured, of course. And that's just like something I felt like I needed to say because We're speaking to those who've been in training cycles for years, and I think that ramp-up phase for new runners looks very different Yes, with some of the principles we're talking about.
0: Well, and to be fair, we've been saying everything based off energy and fatigue and how do you feel. The the other side of that coin is soreness, impact, ache. We weren't talking about that because we've got most of those years of that out of the way. We hit it in a new block of training or when we're coming off injury like me right now. When I add in concrete running or downhill running, I am beat up. But my life energy is pretty much okay because I've been cross-training and things like that. So early on, you have to to play both games, my life energy and how beat up I am, which is where cross-training comes into play and all those things. Mm -hmm. So, yes – Achy knees and hips early on is something you have to listen to, but it doesn't mean you have to not work out that day. If your life energy is okay, but your knees ache, you can you can add in another hour of biking. So we're we're trying to trying to talk to people who are in a rhythm, but if you're not, ache does not mean injured, and ache does not equal fatigue, and fatigue does not equal stress fracture. Like you have to be able to separate the two. Health. And energy. And right now, we're talking a little bit more about the energy of the mileage and volume of training.
1: Yeah. And I like to say something, and maybe this applies, maybe it doesn't, but a lot of times, especially with injury or even energy problems, like I just feel tired. I insensitively say often, like, I really don't care how you feel today. And I mean right. that. Like, I actually don't care. What I do care about is how do you feel tomorrow? How do you yeah. feel the next day? Like, I don't care how you feel today. But if we keep saying, if like tomorrow it's the answer is still this, or I'm still sore, or I'm still tired, or then, you know, today I don't really care about, because today I'll lie to you anyways. We can convince ourselves of more or less. But tomorrow never really lies. The hammer comes back. It has time to. Or it was just maybe a bad day, and now tomorrow I feel great again. You just never Mm -hmm. know. And so today doesn't matter as much as tomorrow. And I know it's probably confusing, but I really believe... That.
0: Yeah. A version of this question that we get is I've been improving, but I see people doing more. Should I be doing more? And what we like to talk about a lot is that as long as you're improving, save your added stimulus for when you need to improve. That's, that's one of the clearest ways for, do I need to raise my volume? First of all, do I have the endurance to make it to the end of my race? If no, yeah, you got to do more and for longer. Can I race the entire time? If no, yeah, do more and for longer. But if you can say yes to these things, you just want to be able to do them better sooner. Well, if you're already improving, when in doubt, don't raise your volume. That might not be mm-hmm. the trendiest thing you can say as a coach, but when in doubt, milk 30 miles per week, another week or two or month or two, as long as you're still improving. Because the, what, what can you change? What are your variables for improving in terms of changing in a workout? You can change duration, intensity, and frequency. If there's really only three things you can change, you don't want to overchange them early on because then what do you do later to stimulate growth? So change them less often and milk it for all it's worth and then bump up. Because eventually what happens to every ex-college runner who ran 100 mile weeks all through college is that as an aging runner, their only option is to run less volume. And now they're getting older, Mm -hmm. they're running less, They're losing speed. Like, where do you find the stimulus to improve in that equation? It takes a lot of tinkering, and you have to accept new levels of existence. Where sometimes it's great for people that found running later in life because they get to improve later in life.
1: Well, it's that you know. I thought you were going to use the acronym MVP, right? Minimal viable product. Mm -hmm. In although that can have a negative connotation in regards to your fitness. It's actually really positive connotation in the yeah. sense, like, how little can I do and still get better? Because then I still have a lot of options in the future, right? I'm not walking myself into a dead end out of the gates. I'm walking myself down a road with plenty of turns and options for me to pursue later. And so if the metrics are improving, then the answer is like, I mean, could you increase intensity, duration, frequency? Sure. However, like, the more often you do that and the more frequently you do that, the less options you have in the future to turn and be like, how do I get better now? And so that's a very important point you make, which leads me to another question. We have more questions than answers on this podcast anyway. What's a reasonable time frame to expect improvement? Like, okay, I've been running 40 miles a week and I've been hitting workouts and long runs in my 5k. The last two months hasn't gone anywhere, but in the last year I've improved 40 seconds. Like mm-hmm. we're, we speak of improvement as being so objective, but most people sitting in training cycles are like, I don't even know if I'm getting better. Like I'm not really sure if I'm getting better. So how do we how do we know? Like how do we know if it's enough or we're getting better? Like what's a reasonable expectation time frame? And I know it's different uh, for everybody, but we should yeah. try to answer that.
0: I don't know if I can give you a time frame right? because early on you can improve in a week, two weeks. After a few months of training, it might take another month or two to see improvement. After a few years, it might take six months to see improvement. The longer you've been doing something, or the sl- something, the slower the improvement comes. But I would say this, as much as it's bad to put like an RPE on improvement, I think we all know when we're not improving. I think we know when I just am not getting better anywhere across the board. And I think you also know when something is improving. My 5K speed is not improving. My tempo pace isn't improving, but my long runs are getting better each week. Okay, great. We we have something we're still improving. And now we have to tweak a variable to adjust those other little pieces. But if you're just not improving at all for a long period of time, it's one of those three variables that has to be tweaked. So I can't really tell you how long it should take other than that, the newer you are to it, the less time it should take.
1: Well, you sort of took it partially the direction I was going to take it. So, <laughs> okay. um, That's good. Well, what I wanted to get at was, first of all, I don't think there is a, so it's kind of a trick question, right? I don't think there is isn't. I don't think you can give a direct answer. Like, oh, six weeks. Of course. You should notice every six weeks you get better. Like, wrong. It's not how it works. Um, In fact, in six weeks you could get worse as part of a process due to fatigue only for six weeks later than that to pop, right? Like it's very confusing. It can be confusing. But what I'm getting at is this, Um, as long as you're getting a nugget somewhere at some time. Once in a while, maybe. Okay. How clear is that? Meaning, oh, I noticed my recovery pace is 10 seconds per mile faster at the same heart rate that it's been. You know what that is? That's an improvement. I noticed my legs didn't go to crap on me until mile 12 of my 14 mile long run. And two months ago, I was I felt like crap by mile eight and just slogged out the rest. It could be, yes, intervals, like repetitive workouts that you hit through history, I got a faster split or two here or Hey, I did the same workout and the same splits, but it just felt easier today. Like I was in <laughs> control this time and I wasn't last. It doesn't need to be where my 5k time. Where's my 5k time trial today? Because you can improve. And still have your 5K time trial be the exact same time. Yes, you will improve in the future. You're just not quite turned that corner yet. So recovery run pacing versus heart rate. Durability over long run or long run pacing. Uh, Interval RPE, even with the same metrics, but felt easier. Or, of course, improved metrics Mm -hmm. on interval sessions. It doesn't need to be a race. It doesn't need to be anything uh, formal. It can be one of many things to monitor improvement. As long as something, you're getting something somewhere Sometimes, maybe. That's probably a good indicator of improvement.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of akin to a relationship. I've used an analogy similar to this before, but early on, everything moves the needle. And later on, improving your relationship might be like, we spoke more frequently about our finances this year than we did last year. Or we took time more often to communicate our feelings this month. Like it wasn't that the bedroom got better, our finances got better, our emotions got better, our time to get, it's we improved something. What do you mean the bedroom got year. better? Like you remodeled it or yeah. remodeled you got a nicer mattress?
1: Yep. So, is that okay? Yep. Just making
0: Speaking sure. of which, right. Kirk, Lisa and I <laughs> were on the way to school to pick the kids up yesterday. And on the front of someone's house, two purple packages. The memory foam mattresses just sitting there and a shoebox box package. Like, speaking of rich, how wealthy do you have to be to order two <laughs> memory foam mattresses and just let it sit there all day, just flaunting it to your neighborhood? Like, You've never met someone as rich as us. Look at this. We just keep mattresses on our porch. Memory foam, purple mattresses. What kind of shoes mattresses. do you think were in that
1: box? Probably kind
0: of Alpha Flies and the new Adidas $500 shoe. I've never met someone yeah. richer than someone who orders multiple mattresses at the same time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that person is doing too much volume.
0: Too much. Too, too much, much volume. Much. But so, All right. I don't even. The longer you get into your relationship, the less it takes to notice the improvement, but it matters. Like, our day to day might not have changed much, but we had a really good talk on Wednesday night. And we feel like we're in a stronger place because of it. So, as the relationship ebbs and flows, smaller things matter. And it's the same thing with getting better as a runner mm. that you don't have to PR everything. If you have one little spark in a week, you're getting better. Mm.
1: You're so good at analogies, Bracken. I actually think an episode that would be very entertaining, a Training Tuesday in particular, would be like, Bracken, you're not allowed, you're going to explain yourself and you can't use one analogy today. I don't think you could do it. I, I don't think say, it's I in can you. only use
0: it. No, I don't think easier. it's
1: within you, you right? <laughs> I, I'm not sure you could get through a whole episode without an analogy. Well, we're going to try on that. It would you're feel so like good at them. There's someone so to
0: get through a day without water. Kirk,
1: is that an analogy? Kind of in itself. Darn right, it yeah. is. Okay. Anyways, I just want to make a note because they're they're actually really good in they resonating, and I think it cleans things up for people in a very blurry uh subject matter because it's not the same for everybody. I can't be like, right. oh, you're running a 10k, 50 miles a week. Duh. You're yeah. running a marathon. Great. A
0: hundred clear as day. It's, those don't exist. Those yeah. answers don't exist. I do want to clear one thing up about volume and it doesn't have to be a long point. And that is that you do not have to have a long drawn out process to get to training volume. You have to have a longer drawn out process to get to running volume. I think that's very important. When I was probably six, seven, I was training eight to 10 hours a week. Or gymnastics. Like you wouldn't have a, a six to seven year old runner doing that, but why can a gymnast do that? Because you're not taking impact the entire time. You can work on other things. And so, all right, let's slide down the scale of a new runner then. It's not all skill work and drill work like gymnastics, but what's the next, like, easiest one notch back past skill work is probably non impact cardio. Let's say it's riding a bike. Can you ride a Should bike be eight hours? Could be walking, could be riding a bike, an elliptical, whatever. I mean, elliptical might be the easiest entry for a lot of people. If you do five hours of elliptical a week on top of five hours of running, you are a 10-hour-a-week athlete, which is enough, I believe, for to get 90 to 95% of the way towards your maximum ceiling. I truly believe that. Probably 95% of the way there, but you haven't endangered anything or ruined your running process. And you might be a 10 hour a week athlete for the next 10 years and still improve because you go from five and five running in cross training to five and a half, four and a half to six, four to six and a half, three and a half. And I think my math is holding steady throughout this time, which might be a personal record for me, but you can fill your volume almost immediately within the first few months of starting training and then take two decades to fill that completely with running. And so do I need to be doing more? The easy answer is go try it. (laughs) Add in another hour of walking a week and then change that to elliptical and then change that to incline hiking and then change that to incline jogging and then change that to flat running. And if you've handled all those things along the way, well, repeat the process again. It's not as simple as am I running too much or too little? And do I need to run more? Yes or no full stop there's a whole world out there of how to build volume that you should be doing if you do want to improve and still keep variables in place for later on yes we've had episodes kind of about this too yeah you can't run as much as you'd
1: like so we've had them in the past you could go dig through the archives we probably had a an episode an episode or two about it in some capacity I think what this leads... Uh, you know, what we're riding is either the energy or the injury line, right? Like, yep. um, And I we haven't talked about the injury side of things yet. Like, just how's my structure holding up, mm-hmm. right? How do I know if I'm running enough volume or too much or too little? I think we should try to... I don't think we need to spend a half an hour on it, like we... Or 40 minutes on it, like we did on the first part, which is kind of how I feel. I think that's what we've been talking about, how mm-hmm. I feel. What about the, the injury side of things? Um, that's also a little blurry, but I think it needs to be addressed. And my big thing truthfully is that statement I said earlier. And I know it was a little muddy in the, in the, uh, context of how I feel, but when it comes to injuries in particular, I actually really do believe in the, I don't care how it feels today. How does it feel tomorrow Mm -hmm. is your recovery cycle enough where you're actually, you know, you're in is the same as you're out and you're staying above the water. I really like to use that like, okay, we acknowledge it happens today, but let's let's get some more subject studies on the matter, meaning more runs or more days on feet. Um, But when do we know when do we know like what's an average amount of pain a runner should feel that's in the sweet spot? What should what should I be feeling? Because it's not always beautiful. It's not always pain free. It's not always clean. It's oftentimes not If I have something I'm managing, but what and how many things am I managing? That's for some of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I have no pain in my body at all because that's an unrealistic expectation. It keeps some people gun shy from, you know, they get a hangnail and they're like, oh, got to take a week off. Or they have a sore calf and suddenly they're like too afraid to run. And I don't think that's the right answer. So what's a normal amount of pain for us to feel when we're in the sweet spot, Brackenstein? Answer me that.
0: This is where we probably diverge the most as athletes and coaches. I draw a pretty hard line in the sand that you shouldn't be feeling much pain when you're running and that if you are, you should be running less and cross-training more. I think that if it is a localized pain, like one specific area, my knee hurts, my Achilles hurts, my calf has one spot with pain, that really shouldn't be occurring very often. My hips ache, sure. My quads are dull and beat up. Yeah, that's going to happen. My ankles throb. Mm -hmm. But if you can point to a spot, I am super gun shy. I think if if you can point to it with a finger, that really, really bothers me and worries me. And I don't think we should be able to do that very often. And so I always am pushing people to do less of what's causing that and get on top of it because of my history is things snowball and one leads to the other. So I don't think you should be feeling much pain. Now, there's injury pain and soreness pain, and I think soreness pain is something you just have to come to grips with and live with, but sharper pain, throbbing pain, localized pain, I don't think there's much of a place for that in the, the everyday runner's world. Caveat to that is it's really tricky to pinpoint some
1: sort of things, right? Like spots, like, okay, maybe if it's a bone or something, it can be the insertion of your Achilles. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's like this area hurts or this, my hip is tight. Like I can't, mm-hmm. it's not the size of a marble. It's the size of a, a banana wrapped around my hip. Like what is that? Right? Like those yeah. sort of things get cloudy. So I have some rules. I think I'm a little more lax with this than you are. Mm-hmm. But I would be a little gun shy if I were you at this point too. So I understand that philosophy. I think that having some sort of pain or discomfort or something tight or note like you notice it. I'm not talking like a 7 out of 10 pain. I'm talking it's like a 3 and it's there every time I put my shoes on. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that stuff's fairly common. Uh, It takes me a mile to work into my run and then my hip loosens up, for example, whatever it may be. Or my calves finally release or whatever it is and i've said this on here i don't know a dozen times over the years but principle number one with all pain is if you start running and it hurts more with every stride stop that means stop running and also probably decrease what you're doing Mm -hmm. okay if an injury or something that's bothering you, you begin your run, and as you run, it starts to alleviate slightly. And by the end of the run, you feel better than you did in the beginning of the run. That's a yellow light. That means proceed with caution, right? Mm-hmm. That means don't increase your mileage at all. Like You need to stay put and see if that yellow light shifts to green, which they don't do in the traffic world. But in this case, you get what I'm saying.
0: Sometimes. will, will that do- Like after an ambulance comes by, maybe. Okay. Rare occasion. But that's what we're looking for. That happened to me.
1: Yesterday. So hold status quo. Did it actually? Yeah.
0: Huh.
1: I don't think it's ever happened to me. Anyways, so proceed with caution, but like, let's not, let's not do anything new. Let's just see, let's feel this. Let's hold right here and see if things improve on their own. And then the green light is no pain at all. Like, of course, continue with training. And the green light is I can now increase my volume if I'd like, you know, my energy feels good. I have nothing that I'm really managing. That's like very notably uh, consistent. And so, okay, now I can go ahead and and maybe play with more volume or more intensity or both. Right. And so I think the red light or the yellow light are the most important. And if it's a red back off volume time on feet, if it's a yellow maintain status quo and feel it out for a couple weeks and it's going to shift one way or the other, you're going to find out or it's a green light, which means I have no real ailments and I should be able to increase something. I think just following those simple principles, I think are fair and that's with pain. That's less than like a five, right? If it's a, Mm -hmm none of this applies if you have a stress fracture in your metatarsal, like you're going to know and it's going to be clear as day. It should be anyway.
0: So I don't know. Did that, did that help at all? Well, that was better. That was a better answer. And what it made me realize is I think I address everything one notch earlier than you with a red light. You back off with a red light. I stop with a yellow light. You hold steady and monitor it. With the yellow, I back off. Mm. So I'm treating a yellow like a red, and you treat your yellow like my green, and your red like my yellow. So I think we're just – we. my DEF CON system is one more sensitive than yours, and it's because yeah. I have a personal bias versus – based off what I come into the last five years. So I think yours is a better well-rounded system than mine.
1: Well, I wouldn't say that. We only live the life through our own lens, but it's served oh, the, me for decently the well so
0: far. Yours is better oh. advice for the general public. I'd like to get back to that very much. So mm. like I, I shut it down for a you week gotta... because my calf felt a twinge. That's not sensical right. unless you've completely, or unless you've uh, had a tear of your calf in right. an area that felt like that a week prior to you tearing it. So yep. for the general public, That's your system better. I'm just living based That's... off my experiences. And then I apply that to other people oftentimes so that they don't get to my point. But could I be shortchanging them? Yeah, Probably. I mean, yellow lights. What do people do at them? They either slam
1: on the brakes or they speed up to make it through. Right? Like, right. That, there's no wrong answer with a yellow light, in a sense. But I do believe that there's a lot of yellow going on with me constantly at 40, trying to compete. I got three yellow lights somewhere on my body at almost all times. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe they're soft yellow. They're closer to green than than red. But like, I just maybe I'm that's my own bias. Like, if I listen to if I pumped the brakes on every yellow light I went to run for the last 3 years bracken and i don't mean to i don't mean to oversell that but yeah. i it's true
0: so there's that so that's my lens right mm-hmm. that's my bias but there's i guess it's all it, all of this comes down to you have to become very intimately acquainted with your body and its tells and its signs. For example, soleus for me, I get what some people would probably consider debilitating soleus pain after certain types of runs or workouts or races. And I know that's just my soleus being itself. That's what it does. That's how it reacts. It's overly dramatic and it reacts to more forefoot work or more pounding or more speed by throwing a giant hissy fit. And it doesn't mean anything. I just get the massager out for three nights and I work on it and I keep running and it goes away within 72 hours every time. But if someone else who didn't have that felt the level of discomfort, my in particular left soleus feels after certain things, they might get it checked out. But I know by now that's just its thing. I accept it. I move on. I understand that certain areas of my quads just take a huge beating and I don't even listen to them. But there's one spot now in my quad that I listen to now. So part of it is getting to know your personal pain too. Like that soleus, I would call it like a six or a seven on day two. But it's fine because I know it's going to be a three on day three and it's going to be gone by day four. It's a false seven. So getting to mm-hmm. getting to know your volume, what your fatigue signs, what your yellow, green, red, what all those mean. That's what this entire journey is about. I agree. And
1: then to just layer on to that, it's not going to be linear. Right. You're going to bump up, a yellow light's going to pop up, and that yellow light's going to turn into a red, and you're going to have to go down to volume you were doing a year ago, if that, and cross-train through it and yeah. build back up. And maybe you hit peak volume again before the next yellow light pops up, and you got to pump the brakes. And then so, like – it's never going to be this, like, like we like to, I don't know, romanticize the progression. And it doesn't work like that. It just does not. And then you start adding intensity close to a race and a lot more of it. And then new things start to pop up while your volume is even going down. And it can be very blurry. But the point I'm making is it's also not going to be linear. Right. So, like, you may test the waters and jump up volume and then have to back down because you realize it was too much too soon. Or you just can sustain it. And then you back down for a little bit and try again. Like all that is normal. Climb the ladder two steps forward, a step and a half back. It's like pretty common in this scenario. It's not like, oh, I was doing 50. Now I just do 60 miles a week and I've been doing that for the last year. Then you know Mm -hmm. what? Now I'm going to jump to 70. I'm going to stay there for a year. doesn't work that way.
0: So just be prepared. You know, that reminds me, as you're saying it, I had a conversation with someone this past week about – why they are doing something in training or how they're going about something. And they just said, you know what? I just, at this point, I just know what works for my body. I know what my protocol is. I know how to get in shape. I know exactly how much time I need. And I heard things like that early in my career, throughout my career. And I used to like have this whiff of mysticism about it. Like, man, they know something about themselves I don't. And I'd love to be able to get there. And now I'm here on the other side, having already passed through that, looking at them and thinking... You know, just wait. You don't know nothing. You knew, (laughs) past tense, what worked for you. You can use that to make informed decisions about what comes next. But no, we we are a changing, aging, breaking down system. And what we know to be true about ourselves are the principles that we can use to guide moving forward, but they are not set in stone. Someone says, listen, I know that if that next year to get fit, all I have to do is this, these 10 weeks... No, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you need 20% more. Maybe you need the same amount, but with three less weeks in there. And maybe you need 20% less. And maybe, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know either, but you knew. And that's helpful. But don't script out the rest of your life based off what you know to be true right here in this moment. Do you think we've helped anybody here? Or do you think we've made them as confused as they started? Oh, man. I wish I had an analogy for confusion because I think that's what we're sitting (laughs) in. But someone, someone out there is like, I needed to hear like this 30 second clip that you guys just sandwiched in the last 48 minutes of talking about one important question in the 15 different ways.
1: Uh huh. Here's the thing is I think we could, I preface this with saying, oh, the question, we can't make a whole training Tuesday out of the question. So we have this hybrid, like we can make a whole, now that we're talking, like we could stretch this thing out if we wanted to. We could dive down a couple more nuances, but I don't really know. I could start stretching to add some more to this. I'm not going to do that. How about you? I want to challenge
0: you, and I'll, and I'll follow it and challenge myself. Okay. Let's make a definitive statement about do people need to raise volume or not. And I'll even go first, to be fair. We've done, okay. We can't make a definitive statement, but I'm going to put some numbers on it. And I'm going to start by saying one thing clearly. This is for competitive athletes. When we have that tagline at the beginning that says "Every we all have the same goal, get to the finish line faster. This is for the people that that applies to. For the people who their okay. goal is to enjoy training, I don't care to race, or I race to have fun, this doesn't apply to you. If you are not running five to seven hours per week, you should raise your volume if your goal is performance. Can you – sorry –
1: Go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt mid-speech, but what are we training for? Is this just a blanket, like 5K to marathon? Oh, you don't care. I would say the
0: mile to 24-hour. I think the entry level for performance is five hours of running per week. Now, you could convince me of four, four and a half. I will hit four and four and a half hours in some weeks. But if you want to consider yourself dedicated to long-term improvement and short-term success – I think five hours is the gold standard for running per week. If you're performance oriented, five to seven is the every man's sweet spot, I believe. Seven to nine is for advanced dedication. And 10 to 12 is the hours you should be hitting if you're trying to reach your ceiling. Now, the running hours stays about the same. But it, it's it's three it's five to seven and then seven to nine and the extra training can take up those final ten to twelve hours. But those are the numbers I'm going to put on it for people. You can be super successful off five to seven hours of running per week. Twelve is about as much as I'd say the every man every woman would ever need to train in a week. That's your that's your your sliding scale right in there. Do what you want with it. So what do you make of this? Five hours and
1: twenty two minutes last week. Four hours and fifty three minutes the week before. That's my last as far as Strava shows me. All right. You're having five hours a week of running. What would you say to me?
0: I'd say you're getting 90% of the way there. If I wanted to be my best. I'd say you're getting 90% of the way there. You're hitting the minimum hours per week for a serious, dedicated runner who's performance-oriented. And I know that you're doing it off of less than seven and less than six days of running per week, which almost amplifies how much that's Four or five. So that's five five days per week and five hours is worth, scaling-wise, like seven hours of running in terms of your time on feed. So, yeah, five, I'm cool with that. And I also know you cross-train on top of it. And I know that you lift. You've done less lifting, but... I think that's good. I think that you would yourself say, I'm probably 90% of the way towards whatever distance I want right
1: now. Well, I'm not looking for you to justify it for me because my answer to your question is that I'm not doing enough. And I would, would, as well as things have been going for me, I would benefit from more volume still. So I'm backing up what you're saying by the fact that I – in my heart, believe that. And now, granted, I'm monitoring injury and I'm running yeah. through yellow lights and there's other factors there, right? So, like, that's my why. If I did more, I might not be able to continue running, right? I'd have to mm-hmm. get injured or take a break. But um, a step is what, what I'm trying to get at is for perspective for our listeners, things have gone pretty well for me in the last year or two. My fitness has been dang good. I've been racing pretty well for a 40-year-old guy. 100% would be better if I could run more or would run more at my yeah. five hour average a week. So it can go well at five, but I know that I'm not accessing other parts. And most of that is due to the yellow lights I'm I have, you know, around me. But just for perspective. Oh, I think that when I that- was training for my ultras, when I was training, when it was a beast two- to three-hour mountain race, I was seven to nine hours on foot of running, plus whatever yeah. else had happened. I and needed, and needed those insurance policies on duration. So what you're saying, I don't want to just want to be like, yeah, Bracken, I agree. But, yeah, Bracken, I agree exactly
0: with what you just said, point being. We live with the caveats, but that's about as black and white as I'm going to get. That's an hour a day, six days per week, six hours. That puts you right in between. That means drop down to... 45 minutes a day and you're, you're going to be at the low end of it and run a two hour long run, one of those and drop your second, a second run out of the week. You're still there. It's getting you 90% of the way to the volume. If you can run five to seven hours per week for performance and everything above that is bonus until it's not, I will stick to that range. Yeah.
1: Well, it's rare that you you take a firm stance on objective measures like that. Mm-hmm. Not that this is an objective measure, because we got to be careful, right? We don't want to mislead people. But I'm glad you took a stance there. It always slightly bugs me too when you say something that I can't really add to because I agree <laughs> with it in my bones. Okay.
0: Like you know, the idea of like
1: a co-host relationship should be like yes and or yes but. But in this case, I couldn't pick different numbers. I couldn't even say four hours and fifty nine minutes to. S- Six hours and 59 minutes. I think five to seven hours and seven to nine is, is exactly it. So
0: don't when ask get, me because I'm going to give you the same numbers. Five, I can't look myself in the mirror and say I know I'm doing pretty pretty well on terms of getting better. I know I'm either monitoring an injury, I'm holding back in my progression, or I'm being lazy. I know that about myself. Now, if I'm being a casual, entertainment-based runner, that is a sweet spot to be in four to four and a half hours a week. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. But if I'm talking about trying to go out in PR, I can tell you when I've crossed the five-hour mark because I feel like I worked towards it that week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, and you again, full of caveats, and then you take mm-hmm. two hours of cross training on top of it and your strength work, and then you go see your physio once a week, and pretty soon your hours add up. We're talking about actual time on feet, running, spent running. Like time in your running shoes, running not cross-training. Right. Yep. Which we preach cross-training to no end. If you're not able to put that time on feet, that is absolutely worth your time. But you're speaking running only, not just aerobic development time, no matter where it's coming from. And I just want to be clear about that.
0: Yes. Five to seven for entry-level performance. Seven to nine for advanced performance that most people never need to get above nine. And 10 to 12 for those who are trying to be their absolute best they'll ever become in knowing that they're riding some risk with that. For everyone else, seven to nine is high level performing add in two to three hours of strength work and prehab and you're at your 10 to 12. Yep. All right. Anything else
1: you want to wedge in here? This I'm, is quickly. I'm emotionally become,
0: really committed to this.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this <laughs> conversation I got. Re- now I feel like I got nothing left for the side piece. Whatever this is next. Uh, These four
0: important questions is quickly becoming one emotionally charged conversation.
1: Yeah, it's starting to take a little bit out of me. I can feel in a
0: good way, but yeah. You wanna take a break. I was invested in that. How are we gonna How are we gonna switch gears now, man? Uh, okay. I'm going to skip to a question I was going to save for last. Let's do it now. We get this ber- a version of this question all the time. When is it time? When do I need to invest in blank? When do I need to get an incline trainer? When do I need to get a gym membership? When do I need to buy a treadmill? When do I need to get a weight set? When do I need to jump into super shoes? When do I need to get a race specific shoe? When do I need, like, when is it mandatory that I blank? How do I know when it's time to invest into something? This shouldn't take as long, Um, but we could probably go three hours.
1: You don't feel like the listener needs, like, a little intermission here between, because they're committed to our conversation, and now we're just going to, like... It's like booking dates back-to-back in the same night with, like, two different people. Like, that's, like, a tough... Don't you want, like, a... Like a breather in between, like something we could distract them with real quick. Kirk, I've Anything never done that. To just, I haven't... Oh, oh years yeah. ago maybe. You
0: told a story that you saw them both the same night when one that was, was an, the next on, night. That wasn't on purpose. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: that was not on purpose. Okay. Um, I told us that story on here?
0: Yeah. I don't know if it was during speed dating or what, but you talked about you had a date set up and one for the next night, and the one for the next night showed up at the restaurant or bar on the first night unrelated to you and saw you with the current date.
1: Right. I didn't know I was on correctly. a date. And so I ended up sitting, I ended up sitting between both of them. I was in between my date for that <laughs> night and my date for the next night. And anyways, we don't need to get into it. Okay. That feels good. I felt like we shook the cage enough. Now people are reset. Just right. enough of a distraction.
0: Just a little drop of a, a, a drip of bachelor Kirk. And now we're back to regularly scheduled programming. That was pre Bachelor. it was like 2008, 2009 before
1: any of that. Um, okay. So your question now, do you, do you need to restate it? Did we
0: distract too much? Or do you think people remember here? When do I need to invest in the next blank, the next, the better treadmill, the better shoe, whatever it is, when do I know it? Like, when is it time that I just need to invest in this? When your intuition
1: tells you repeatedly that you're leaving something on the table,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when your intuition tells you not once, not twice maybe three times it's been consistent over weeks and then now months potentially that I know I can do better, be better, or I'm not accessing the things I need to access. Like you just know it. I knew it was time to get my incline trainer because I couldn't train the way I wanted to train Mm -hmm. due to geographical limitations. So I think it's an intuition thing. And it's also, you just know, You know that you're not, you know that you're leaving things on the table. I don't know how else to say it. We can dive off of that, but that's what my first answer
0: is. I'm going to start with the the dumb answer. Never. You never have to. If you are special, you can make it to the top in suboptimal conditions. And we've seen that in every walk of life. From children of homeless people who get full rides to Ivy League schools to fighters who make it to world championship status, training in their local gym against average Joes. You've seen runners who went with no more than like six months of informal training to qualifying for world championships, self-made millionaires and billionaires. You can have the incorrect suboptimal startup and situation. And if you are special, both mentally and physically, you can get wherever you want to get to. So let's just get that out of the way truly need never but a when you really you're talking want, to like one
1: percent of our listeners if that
0: no 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 i don't think so i think i'm talking to most of them actually because most of us have goals that are attainable. that everybody is so special yeah i think that we can all choose to be unique enough in our pursuit of our goals because our goals are generally not otherworldly usually our we're held back from our goals because we're lazy or disorganized usually not always but usually I want to qualify for Boston. I want to qualify for UTMB. I want to run a sub three-hour marathon. Most of these might seem really impossible, but they don't require otherworldly talent. You just have to be special. You have to be special in your pursuit of it. So I'm going to say never. You almost never. I mean, what? uh, oh, I'm blanking on this. Man, I can't believe I'm going to forget her name. Hopefully it comes to me while I'm talking. There's a woman who Lisa won- Lisa the- Crocker? <laughs> well, she has suboptimal situation in her home life, and she's doing all right. She's special. <laughs> There's this woman yes. who won multiple Ironman World Championships, and she qualified for her first one by taking second. I think she ended up going second at a European championship on a friend's bike, Cervelo P2C. And it was something like a seven or eight year old model, not fitted to her. She just borrowed it and went out and won Ironman world championship. There were people with a decade, newer, all carbon fiber, better gear ranges, lighter, more aero. And she just went out and smashed them. So that's being truly special. But I'm talking about, there's this guy who I met the other day at the rock ski hill in Whitnow, Wisconsin just trudging up and down this thing with a smile on his face. And he had a set of quads on him that made me think, this guy's done some mountain work. And I asked him what he's doing. He said, he's preparing for UTMB. I said, really? Mm. Have you qualified? He said, yeah. I said, where'd you qualify? He said, Western States. I said, okay. I said, you live around here? He said, yep. Said, he said, what are you doing today? I said, I'm doing about 12 reps today. He said, that's a big day. I said, well, it's not my biggest, but it's a big day. And, I, and he asked what my biggest was. I talked about on my birthday, I did... 36 reps of it. He said, that's a pretty big day. What about you? He said, uh, well, I just come out here and, uh, I get as many as I can over the course of a couple hours. And a lot of times on like a Friday, I'll come out after work and I'll go until noon the next day. I said, what? He's like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do a hundred, 150 reps. I'll just do 12 hours (laughs) to get time on feet. And I realized I was talking to a special individual and I tracked him and guess who completed UTMB, the full distance. Training on a 100-foot ski hill. Who? That man right there. How many people DNF UTMB? A lot. This guy lives in Wisconsin at a poor man's sledding hill, but he was doing 12-hour days on it. Does not have an incline trainer. So my point is, you don't have to be special to be special. You don't have to be born that way. You can just decide, I'm going to be the special one here. I'm going to be the one who will spend 12 hours overnight after a full day of work doing this ski hill. Over and over and over, so you never need it. Is my point.
1: The problem, well, this guy. Tip of the hat to you, by the way. Seriously. We could end. We
0: could move to the. We could move to the next I'd like question to right him. now. I am going to track him down, and I'd like to. We could him. move. We could move to the
1: next question right now. Really, you answered enough of it by just giving that example. People can take right. that and run and apply it to however they wanted. But they. Won't. The problem with your phrasing, well, some might. The problem with your phrasing is one word, and the word is "need." need. Right? What do I need? What do when I need to do I? to get better? When should I? Yeah. When does it make sense? When would I benefit? The word Correct. "need" the answer will be never. In your case, then I agree. Like that answer is never. You don't need. You don't need ba- fancy new shoes with a carbon fiber plate ever. You don't need those things. But when should I? When would it benefit mm-hmm. me? When might it move my needle a little bit? Um. So I just thought, I don't know, that should be said. I don't have sure. a good answer for this because, because if I have a curiosity, I'm privileged enough to scratch the itch Yeah. immediately. I wasn't always, it took me a long time to get there, but now it's like, you want to go compete in the mountains? Like, yeah, my local ski hill, it takes me 90 seconds to run up. I should probably find something that can allow me to go further than that. So I bought an incline trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm starting to run on the roads. Maybe I should. Test out these carbon plated shoes and see what happens. Yeah, maybe you should. So I don't really know. All I know is like it. Sh- you should be looking for it. It should look for you. When I should Ooh, maybe Kurt. do the
0: next thing. Fridge magnet. Nice. Yeah,
1: buddy. But it's true. You should yeah. be looking for the next thing you need. It. It should be coming to you naturally with like a curiosity or a a desire, uh, an itch that. Makes itself very known. I don't think you should be going out there chasing the next thing that's going to be put in your arsenal. It should be an intuition. Intuition is half of the equation when it comes to everything we talk about, from training to increasing mileage to decreasing. You shouldn't chase it.
0: We both know people who are always searching for the net. What's that next thing I need? That's not. No,
1: it should be knocking on your door. You shouldn't be knocking on its door.
0: Wrong is at a ladder. The top one is you never need it. Next step down is when you've turned over every rock, you've done the best you can and you're being limited by your lack of X. That's when it's time to go get X. When not having an incline trainer means that I just am leaving something on the table. I've done everything I can do that I think that I can think of. That's that next rung. That's when you that's when you should do it. Next notch down is when it's going to make me better. When it's going to enhance my experience, when it's going to make me more likely to do what I need to do, that's when you should get it. And then the next one is when you want to and and you can. If you don't need it, yeah. but you want to and you can and it's going to be fun or you want to test it out, that's when you should do it. But each one is less necessary as you get closer to the bottom of that ladder.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, part of what we do, like, listen, at the end of the day, we just put shoes on and we run. Like, so we do like the same thing over and over, right? All the time. It's like, how boring an OCD is that? If we can be curious and stay curious and experiment and play and anything to make a very boring Mm -hmm. and mundane same thing over and over, have a little carrot dangling here and there, or just something to ignite a spark in an old relationship, that bottom rung you're talking about, fine. Like if you have the means and curiosity to try to keep date night alive, let's say. Right. Like that's, that's fine by me. In but ter- need? Nobody needs. Yeah. Nobody needs.
0: In yeah. terms of need, Kirk, if I had to look back on everything I've ever purchased that is fitness and endurance and running related, fitness in terms of endurance, so of everything I've ever purchased, the only things that I could say I actually needed- And made a tangible difference in me as an athlete are a treadmill, maximally cushioned shoes, and to a lesser extent, the proper for my foot and stride carbon fiber shoe. Mm. And then if I had to choose something else, it would be a weight set in my basement. Those things, the weight set made me more likely to do it because I didn't have to leave the house. The treadmill made me better because I just have an easy option that I could blast down to and start off at the drop of a hat Car, uh, max height shoes max stack cushioned shoes allowed me to run more volume and descend more which meant more vert when I moved out to the mountains and then carbon plated shoes actually make me faster and the super foam makes me take less damage four things out of everything I've ever bought have actually improved me as an athlete no watch has no heart rate monitor has made me better no app has made me better. No clothing has made me better. No hydration pack has made me better. A bad one versus a good one is gonna serve me the same way, one's just gonna annoy me more. I've only become better from four things that I can think of.
1: Mm. What's uh what's one of the dumbest things you thought you needed <laughs> oh, that you man. purchased? To be better, oh. or style of training, or anything. Do you have something that comes to mind? Like what? Like we've all we're we're not perfect. The only reason we have a podcast is because we've done all the dumb things and we've learned through our own trials and tribulations oh, and coaching that's others. Dumbest. So, what's the dumbest thing that you thought you needed? And I don't have anything that comes to mind, so I'm gonna start thinking for myself too. But I figure you'd have a long list because you're a gadgets guy. But clearly, you don't. I don't
0: think I have a single thing that I that is incredibly dumb. It's that. My dumbest thing is that I th- I've tried out 10 versions of everything, looking for the perfect one, and then the perfect one ends up not being a game changer. Oh. Like, in my basement right now, I think I have 11 hydration belts. Ugh. And I have the one I really like, but since then, I've probably tried six more, and I still have the one I really like. like I shouldn't have $1,000 in hydration belts sitting there, and I think I have seven hydration packs left that I haven't given away and I use two and I have like all these things that I have something that works fine and I keep searching for the thing that's going to be better and it ends up not being a game changer. But I don't know. I can't think of anything that's mm. just flat out dumb. Like one thing that I couldn't believe all the dumbest things I've ever had in training were provided as a sample by a company that you get and realize, this is just really dumb. The complex band or dumb. resistance systems that take something that you can do already and make it more complicated and dumber. Like Boa Blast or some crap like that. <laughs> Isn't that Hunter's? It's not making
1: you better. <laughs> <amino> I don't <laughs> know, but it's such crap. I think that's Hunter's <laughs>
0: amino acid. <laughs> <laughs> or is that a company sponsored that stuff?
1: Um uh, Listen, anybody who's a competitor of Usana is a competitor of mine, Bracken.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Thing, right? You better know it.
0: Better know it. I wish I had a good answer from um, this. I wish I had something. And I'm I wish sure Lisa or my brother could tell you something dumb I bought that I thought was going to be a game changer. It'll dawn
1: on you at some point. I can't really think of anything either. I'm sure some people have like doing buns okay. of steel every day or something like, okay.
0: Truly Not dumb really. is I, all I had for farmer's carry were five gallon jugs of water. And so I wanted to make them heavier because I think that comes out to 47 pounds or something like that. And so I started filling them with things, rocks, any piece of metal or anything I could fit inside there and and then put water back in there and then tried to cap it off. And it was just terrible. Like it, it, algae bloomed instantly and it eroded the duct tape that I used to cover it and it was springing leaks everywhere and... Then in the middle of it, the handle snapped off because it was too heavy for what it was rated for. Probably my homemade farmer's carry caused me more grief than anything else I've ever bought because I only used it when I was during a workout or a simulation, and it would fail me right then in the moment, and I'd screw things up instead of just buying something heavy.
1: I was hoping that story was going to end with, I filled it with rocks and then water and all that crap, and it ended up lighter than if you just had water <laughs> in it. <laughs> that's, that's what I was hoping. I, I don't <laughs> even know. I don't think so. It could it have. Heavy. You never know. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Um, okay. I, I wish I had something funny, to throw though. back at you. I, that would be funny. Like, Yeah, lava rocks are light, you idiot.
0: Like, Okay. Another DIY. Water. I kept adding ankle well, we and go. wrist weights – onto myself and the, the arms of my airdyne to try to create bigger resistance and it didn't change the workout at all.
1: <laughs> you at you all. like put Velcro weights on the arms? Yeah. Like a, Velcroed them on and there. It didn't or change anything,
0: but it gave it more inertia. <laughs> <That is. laughs> and so I'd come in and I'd come I, in on the <laughs> interval flying in. I'd strap onto my wrist, get it on here, stuff's flinging all over the place and then it didn't change anything and I was so mad.
1: I would suggest sand in the chain. This is what I would See, just, yeah, good. <laughs> so it's just yeah, it won't end well, but it'll okay. Yeah. Uh, what else do we need? Okay, when do you need? When do you need, or should you level up? I guess I I like how you started that. I added my two cents. We can explore Mike, further.
0: Mike Ferguson English. and I were talking about this on the trail about shoes and basically about the idea that the less clean the running you're doing is, the less any shoe is going to be magic. So. Like the people who have to buy the best shoe and can't perform without it. Like it doesn't change who you are as a runner. If you bring C level fitness to the table and it's gonna last you 45 minutes, you can either bring C plus fitness to the table for 45 minutes with a super shoe and then you're still gonna crack, or you can hold C level fitness for 50 to 55 minutes and then you're gonna crack. Or you're going to be the same and less sore the next day or some combination, but you're not going to go from C to B or C to A or from 45 minutes to 60 minutes. You're just, you are who you are. The shoe can enhance you, but I it agree. can't change you. And, and in the other end of the spectrum, you put a stud in anything on earth and they're going to beat you. <clears throat> anything. Yep. You saw yep. it with Tyler German wearing vapor flies on technical trails. But, <laughs> He's still a 212 marathoner. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did he degrade to for that right, section? A right. 218 marathoner?
1: <laughs> right. Could have ran in flip-flops and one, And yeah. that's just what it is. Yeah. Duct-taped to your foot flip-flops. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should we take a swing? We got about 17 minutes. 230 for me is a hard cutoff, but I don't know what we want to get to.
0: All right, so we're not going to get to four today. I have two options. Do you want me to say them out loud, or should I just pick one? Say them out loud. Singles versus doubles and crippling race anxiety. Crippling race anxiety. And that's All the
1: right. least popular thing I think people listening are like, I hope you pick singles versus doubles. I guarantee that's what everybody wants me to, wanted me to pick. But I don't know if we – I think we need more time for that one. So yeah. I think it's so good that maybe we should push it back.
0: Yeah. I agree. What do you think? Yeah, let's lead off next time with singles versus doubles.
1: Yeah, because we could spend an hour on that if we had to, probably, just like we did our first question. We
0: can spend an hour when we don't have
1: to, which is what we're going to do next time. Okay. Yeah, let's do that.
0: All right. All right, well, um, yeah. I was just going to say, you kick it off.
1: Well, I was actually going to kick to you because you proclaimed on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, heaven forbid you have to talk more. Um, (laughs) You proclaimed that you've you've had – You've had crippling race anxiety, uh, in your past. I have not, I've been a notch below that, but crippling wouldn't be the word I would use to describe it. And I know you've, you've gotten over that for the most part, most of the time, there's always exceptions. Mm -hmm. It creeps back in, in different ways, but since you have more experience that I, than I do with that, why don't you start?
0: Okay. I'll say I had hobbling race anxiety, not true crippling because I was still able to race. But like my sophomore year of high school, I ran 4.53 in a mile and 10.24 in a two mile. And by my junior year, I ran 4.52 and 10.59. So I ran the same mile and I got 30 seconds worse in the two mile despite getting better in every aspect. I was taller. I was stronger. I was in better shape but I was just so sick and anxious and I couldn't run without side cramps because I was, too, I was too anxious. And then I couldn't eat before my first few post-collegiate races. It was bad. It was very bad. And so I'll start with my perspective. And that is that the first thing you have to do is understand what is causing your anxiety. We are anxious about something and it's generally not just like, the race. It's about a potential outcome or a potential instance that could happen. There's a reason we're anxious about the race. So you have to know why you're anxious. And that can take a lot of introspection. You might have to bounce that off your spouse, significant other, people around you. You might have to talk to someone about this. But finding what is causing your issues is paramount here. And for me, my two things were kind of uh, ironic, but the biggest thing that got me was performance anxiety, knowing I was unprepared. And the second thing that got me Mm -hmm. was putting the race on a pedestal. So the ironic part there is that if I show up unprepared, I had big race anxiety because I knew exactly how bad it could go. And if I showed up so prepared that I had thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and made it bigger than it was, I would have race anxiety. And so I had to approach this a couple different ways. One, I had to get into really good shape. Then that eliminated the bad anxiety about I'm not prepared to do well. And that was very, very helpful. The better shape I got in, the less I was anxious for certain races. But then I had to race myself out of it. This was a immersion therapy type deal here. I raced like 39 times that next, uh, my first, my second year of OCR. Between OCR and trail and road and track, I was still going back to Whitewater and running indoor 800s that year. I was I was racing everything I could find. Just I decided I am going to force this anxiety out of my mm. system, which doesn't work for all the factors. But it got to the point where I couldn't build anything up on too big of a pedestal because I was always racing something. And even even a couple of years later, I was I wouldn't say notorious because I wasn't famous, but I was known for buying a Thursday night flight and flying out Friday. Because that limited the amount of time I could get nervous for something. And I also was kind of known for like 18-week builds for big races because I was hedging my bets. I was starting early on and getting really fit. And then I would turn and make a decision last minute to limit the time I would put just perseverating over it. So I went with the brute force approach combined with some logical reasoning. I'm the opposite. Okay.
1: Of what induces. That just goes to show how different we all can be. If I'm unprepared, So race anxiety for me comes from expectations. Once I've decided I have expectations for myself and then high expectations for myself, the higher my expectations, the higher my anxiety. I can see that. So if I go Very into common. a race under pre- underprepared, not a race favorite... Somebody who's going to blend in. Very low. I'm out of shape. Great. No expectations. Anything is a win. In my own emotional mind, I don't have a lot on the line. so Because I'm not not where I need to be. I want to be. So that's mm-hmm. okay. It's uh, the second side of the coin which you described, which is big race, big expectations. I have fitness. And now it, I emotionally am attached to it. And if I'm emotionally attached to it, um, that is what seems to drive my anxiety. Um and for years it was what you thought perception was of your performance, like it like everybody's going to think on like if like the nerves of like upholding like for example I was a big fish in a small pond mm. in high school mm. and I didn't lose a race in track until my sectional meet. I went undefeated all year. And so I was over raced and I won everything, right? And, and it could be a dual meet. Every single time I told that line, I was nervous because of expectations. I was expected to win. The more pressure put on you, the more nerves you get. So I don't know if that's going to be helpful here or not, but the more prepared, generally, I actually, the more expectations and the more expectations, the more nerves. Um, So I don't know if that's, I mean, we can dive into that specifically, of course,
0: but it depends what your nerves
1: spawn from.
0: I think it's important for people just even to hear the perspective of what, what causes it. Because mine... Is the opposite of yours. I am that dreamer who expects that I might be able to pull this off no matter what my preparation is. And so the worse shape I'm in, the more anxiety that causes me because I still kind of expect myself to do something good. So if I'm going to expect to win either way, even if I have no chance of it, I'm going to catch myself expecting it. I might as well show up prepared. Whereas yours is mm-hmm. the opposite. You, you, that's what Macaulay is. That, that was him he would rather not set a goal and not work towards it and then oh, I'll kick his coverage on race day. Yeah, than a lot of people have like someone that. expect him to do something. He did not like mm-hmm. that position in many things in life for a long time. So, I get that. But yeah, we're we're wired dead opposite. So what do you do then? Because mm-hmm. that that's that's a true catch 22. That's true irony. The harder you work towards something, the more you set yourself up to be miserable by the race day experience of anxiety. So, how how do you yeah. possibly justify working hard?
1: Yeah, and it, it is, and and you do. It's a very privileged position. You have to remind yourself of that. You have to remind yourself of that. Like I think the crippling race anxiety. You find it more common the higher perform, the higher and higher the performer, the more common I think crippling race anxiety is in general. Um, because I think of the expectation thing. For me, anxiety aside, I think the hack. Well, not anxiety aside, but anxiety—the focus point really is finding a way to get to bed. And I know that's a very like, oh, go to sleep. But I think that the reason that crippling anxiety affects us on race day as much as anything is you can have the butterflies all day, the we all week leading up to your race, and you can be in turmoil, and you can have doubt, and you can have hopes, and you can lay in bed and. Think about this, but if we can magically find a way to sleep leading into a race, anxiety is still no fun, but we're talking about crippling and crippling race anxiety takes away from performance. Sometimes it causes people to not even show up. They sit in their hotel room and don't even go to the start line because they can't will themselves to do it. If it's really that crippling or it's very high, I find that even anxiety throughout your day and weeks leading up, if you can figure, and again, I'm not giving you a tangible, but find a way to sleep you can find a way to sleep, whatever those tricks are, I think is the number one lowest hanging fruit to address. Like other than the anxiety itself, if we can do that, at least we can perform still and be anxious. And I know that's like putting a bandaid on a bullet hole, but I've been really anxious, but I've like, for example, I nightclub myself two nights in a row before a big race. Cause I was so nervous and whatever. You know what? I should have been a really good race. Cause I actually slept, knocked me out. Not saying you should do that exact thing, but I think it they're related. And so anxious, make sure you sleep. How do you do that? I don't know. You tell me. That makes sense. Do you remember what if, Cody Moat said after yeah. he won his most recent his last world championship? He got to the start line cuz Cody Moat, two-time Spartan Race world champion, maybe arguably tied for the best in our sport. At Cody Moat at his best is better than anybody who's ever stepped on a Spartan Race course. How about that? On his best day, Cody's
0: unbeatable. If you take everyone's best moment, he wins. He just had less of his best moments than other people.
1: Yes. You know, he struggled openly with crippling race anxiety to the point where that's what perfected his, he had some, you know, medical conditions as well, but really affected his performance. And they, he crossed the finish line one for a second time ever after the Spartan race world champs, one for the second time after having many disappointing years, a fourth place finish, a fifth place finish, a third place finish. They said, what? Tell me about the race. How'd it go? And what was the? Do you remember the first thing he said in his interview before anything about the race? No, I don't. He said, "Well, I got. Well, I actually got some sleep last night." (laughs) It was the first thing out of his mouth, and that's always stuck with me because he's directly relating that to his race anxiety, and he somehow managed to fall asleep. What a novelty! What a novel concept! When you're so anxious, the sleep's the first thing to go. And so I just thought it was worth addressing. And for Cody Moto World Champion, even he dealt with it. And his big thing was like, I found a way to sleep. That's all I needed. So that's why I wanted to hone in on that.
0: Well, and it's interesting that that was the year as well that he finally said, forget it. I'm not doing my normal prep for world championship. I'm going elk hunting. He spent two weeks in the mountains elk hunting, and he showed up and slept. There's no way those aren't related. He's one of those people that's so talented that he can get away with suboptimal if he's just able to use what he has.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think the last two photos on his Instagram are this elk head sitting on his front lawn. And then a parade thrown for him in his hometown after winning the Spartan Race World Champs. And that was in 2019, or no, 2018. And I don't think he's posted since. That makes sense. And that might be it. Yeah. Anyways,
0: go ahead. All right, so what I'd like to do now is give every possible strategy, just not rapid fire, but bullet point, that we've used, that we've used with athletes or that we've seen people use, because this is going to be one of those, we can't diagnose you right now. We can't give you an example of everything that could be causing it, but we're going to give you a bunch of examples and maybe one of them gives you a starting point for how to start addressing it. So I'm just going to kick off, which, which was I realized that races were becoming a, uh, a stressor for me and stressors sometimes become less stressful when you get more acquainted with that. So I force-fed myself races. Again, I think 39 races in a calendar year. They didn't all matter. Some of them were just local things that I used as a workout. But I raced, I think, 39 times in 2014, 2013 or 2014, Just and it worked. I tried it with Lisa. It didn't work. But for me, that worked. Mm. I force-fed races until it wasn't novel anymore, and then it became
1: regular. Time in the sun didn't burn so bad once you just kept going out in it. Yeah. Right? The monster in the dark isn't as scary when you're spending a lot of time in the dark.
0: My night vision. To enter, go back that's to your Nairus episode. Yep. yep.
1: Um, for those of you who struggle with believing you're prepared, a lot of anxiety about, I don't know if I can or if I should, or like, is, did I get in over my head here? A lot of people feel that way. That's a big source of anxiety mm-hmm. um, for a lot Um, a page out of your book, but I think this is very helpful. It's helped athletes of mine, uh, is going through your log and reminding yourself. I did do the work. I do deserve to be here. I am prepared. Oh yeah, I did all this. Mm -hmm. I will be okay. So for those of you who struggle with confidence issues and that's the, uh, that's the source of your anxiety, going back and reminding yourself of all the, the commitment up to that point, that will very much put you at ease. Yeah. Granted, you actually trained. I guess that's an assumption. Double-edged right? sword. You don't want
0: to open up it's that training life. diary the night before the race. And <laughs> right. see a lot of blanks. <laughs> that's, that's going to make it right, worse. Right, right, right. But if in your head you could say, <laughs> Kirk, how many quality sessions at any given distance would you need? to feel confident that you're prepared for it. Let's say you have good fitness coming into it. Go prepare for blank. How many quality sessions before you even start, would you hope that you could get in in however long of a cycle you need to prepare for any distance? Let's say 5k through marathon. How many big sessions do you need until you can feel I'm ready?
1: Well, I feel like I could do that in six weeks if I'm already working with my current fitness, but I mean, so let's let's say
0: six weeks. Yeah. How many quality sessions is that?
1: 12, mm-hmm. 6 to 12, probably closer to eight. Yeah, to 10.
0: And so on race day, you go there or the race night the night before and you're in your hotel room or if you're lucky your own room and you look back and you check off and you realize I got 16 workouts in. I don't care what I'm thinking right now. I have proof that my number was 6 to 12 and I have 16. I'm set. I can do this. yeah, it's a good strategy. All right. One That's thing that people track. have an issue with is getting passed on course, pacing improperly, or making it feel like it's too intense of a start line experience in first mile. And it just, I tighten up I, and I cripple myself. I've had several mm-hmm. athletes that what we do is we start last. We're the last person across the mm-hmm. start line. And then everything from there is a win. If you were going to cripple yourself and lose anyway, and feel like crap doing it, then winning's not important to you right now. But doing all those other things better is. So if you're the last one across and you catch one person, that was a win and you don't fire off the line. You just walk off the line. You step across it and then you start jogging and then work into your run. And then the next time up, maybe you start two rows up from the back and then four and then halfway up and then two rows behind the leaders. And sometimes within one race season, you're over it and sometimes you realize i'm a third row starter i'm not going to win the race in the first five minutes and i do better if i don't and it takes away the stress and it feels like i'm negative splitting because i'm passing people but starting last or at least out of the fray is a very freeing way of approaching a race for someone who's stressed about the entire start of a race
1: i like that idea you did that in jacksonville i did time trial format years ago and I dnf yeah, It didn't work out for you, <laughs> but I, I, did that play into it? Did that strategy play in? Like, was that the reason?
0: That I DNF'd? No.
1: <laughs> the reason that you started in the back, was that to uh, help curb some anxiety?
0: Uh, it was less about anxiety and more about not getting caught up in the fray. Since they were doing it in kind of a wave start, it was a pure time trial. And so there was no reason to race people- It was to run your best time. And I'd been training solo or with Ross Weimer all winter. And I knew I was pretty well acquainted with how I could push and I hadn't been near people Mm -hmm. and I hadn't run a Spartan race in a year and it was going to be all the best there. And you were not going to feel your pace at the beginning. So I decided I'm going off the line at like a workout and it felt great. And I made it almost exactly one mile. And I had moved up and I, I, it was working well. I didn't get to see the mm-hmm. fruits of my labor, but it was working. I, when I stepped off course, I had uh, caught Killian and Gowiski. They were the two people mm. ahead of me. Gowiski finished up yeah. third. Now he flipped the tire. Yes. So who, who knows? Yeah, but yeah, point yeah. Was, I was I was running well and by the mile, I was accelerating rather than fading back, and I would have absolutely faded back had I started up with the big dogs. Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, Brack, and I wish I could add more to this conversation, but this is why I wanted to pick this topic. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. Because we we've well,
1: reached our deadline, for me anyways.
0: I want to say three more strategies then for people, and then we can bounce out of here real quick. Okay, make it quick. Yeah. First is Let's do it. performance anxiety about how important the race is when it's not important is a thing, Do a workout the day before the race. Give yourself something tiring the day Mm. before the race and then show up with the biggest built-in excuse, which is, I did a quality session yesterday. And it doesn't have to be a huge quality session, but I've had athletes race shockingly well after having done 12 by 400 the night before. It's not a performance enhancer. It's a pressure reducer. And then you can reduce Mm -hmm. the load the day before as you get better with that. So that one right there is a very important one, I believe for that right there. Mm. And then the third is race without a watch. For some reason, that alone sometimes changes everything for a person. If you can't look down, even the apprehension of looking down where what, no matter what I say, it's going to make me puke. No matter what the watch (laughs) says, I'm going to be sick to my stomach because it either sucks and I suck and I'm a waste of space or it's too fast and I suck and I'm a waste of space and I'm going to blow up. Like if you're going to be negative, you're going to be negative. No matter what your watch tells you, sometimes having no watch is really freeing. I
1: think like the one area we should try to get an expert on in regards to this, maybe like some sort of sports psychologist, that would be great. But yeah, I think the big thing with race anxiety is in the days and weeks leading up less about what's happening. Mm -hmm. Obviously if your anxiety, the days and weeks leading up is around these things you just mentioned, then addressing those. So they're not a worry anymore, of course, but it's like how to navigate the butterflies when you're laying in bed on a Tuesday night and your race isn't until Saturday and you're already keyed up. And right. you have four days till race day and you're running on hot, you're on in combat mode, walking through life just, yeah. and then you get to the race and you're exhausted for no reason. Cause your adrenals are shot. Yeah, like man. that's the thing I'd love to explore more with like an expert. That's the tricky thing. Um, but we're not going to do that right now, folks teaser. We're out of here folks. Thank you for listening. We'll continue the last part of our uh, mini-series on Tuesday.
0: Yes, we will. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I've enjoyed them so far. Have a good weekend.